welcome to the How Not to Screw Up Your Kids podcast. So, pour yourself a cuppa, find a comfy seat and enjoy the conversation. This is episode 78 and today's episode I get to share my recent conversation with Izzy Judd, wife to Harry, mummy to Lola, Kit and Lockie, violinist and author of Dare to Dream and Mindfulness for Mums. With all the perceived privilege and celebrity status people might attach to someone with over 300,000 followers on Instagram, Izzy couldn't be more real, humble and honest about her and Harry's parenting journey. From IVF, childhood anxiety to juggling three children. I know Izzy's honesty has been a lifeline to so many mothers who relate so much to her stories and her tips for integrating mindfulness in a way which brings our children on board. They're so simple that we can all try them. You're in for an absolute treat. My gift this week is some more information on Izzy and how you can connect. As usual, head over to my free resource library, drmaryhan.com forward slash library where you'll find the link to download the resource all you need to do is pop in your email address and you'll get instant access not only to this week's resource but all the other resources across all my other podcast episodes as ever if you enjoy this episode i would love it if you could follow and review this podcast so that others can find us and we can spread the love so until next time here's izzy and welcome. Oh thank you so much for having me Mary Han. It's lovely to be with you on this on this lovely podcast. Oh thank you so much. I'm gonna dive straight in. So we you have three children and the question that certainly I want to know is what's it like with three children? How's the juggle? Yeah so obviously with um well there were times when I wondered whether I would even have one so to have three has been an absolute blessing but you know when you have two you and your husband there's a pair of hands for each and then suddenly when you've got three you're wondering where that extra pair of hands is going to come from but I suppose I don't know for me I feel my two so I've got Lola who's six and Kit who is five they're very different in characters as children are, but somehow you think you're going to create the same the same child again, and, and suddenly <laughs> another child throws up a new personality at you, of course. But I really found it, coming from a bigger family, and my husband Harry coming from a bigger family, having more sort of absorbs everybody's eccentricities. <laughs> and you're a la- there's not there's less comparison, or you're sort of just all thrown in it together. So I was quite keen having come from a big family to be able to to do that with our family yeah and I love the way that you talk about the fact that with a bigger family the kind of the idiosyncrasies just sort of get absorbed in that which is really a lovely way of looking at it I want to ask and you touched on this Izzy and you know I've read an interview very recently that uh, Jennifer Aniston has given where she has opened up for the first time I think about her struggles in terms of conception and obviously for her there wasn't a successful outcome she hasn't she hasn't got any children can you sort of share for us a little bit about your journey with that because I think we sort of expect that I guess we're expecting that we are going to fall pregnant having avoided becoming pregnant and then when it doesn't happen what's that like yeah so um, my husband and I we married in 2012 and I was quite keen to start a family 
fairly quickly. I don't think he was in such a rush, um, <laughs> being a little bit younger than me. But I think, you know, you you spend your early years basically trying not to get pregnant. And you're sort of, that's drilled into you. We're not really taught about how to get pregnant or how to look after our fertile health or that it might not be a possibility or options or anything else. And until recently, um, which I think is a, well, I think there's a number of factors actually around Jennifer Aniston talking about it, is that A, it hasn't been a topic that's been openly discussed and B, it's very, very difficult to talk about it as a woman because you feel like it should be the most natural thing that we should be able to reproduce but actually that isn't always the case and very often is the case and since talking about my own personal struggles with our first um, child you realize once you open up that conversation just how many people are struggling but when you're in it it is the most isolating lonely just you feel like your world's been put on pause you know that you don't know how to move forward you don't know what direction to go in no plans can be made and you know we're in a world now where at the click of the button we can order something and it arrives on our doorstep the next day and this was something for me it was a lesson in I don't have control over this um it it was incredibly challenging um and why you know I felt so passionate to talk about my experience because I was 29 years old you know, in my mind, it was ladies and, and couples that were older that had to go to fertility clinics. But there I was, you know, age 29, 30, having to go and get help to, to conceive. And as you say, that, that I could well, I can't imagine because I've not been through that, but it, it must feel very insular and a very difficult kind of process to navigate. And I think it's incredible that people are talking about it, but I still don't think that there's... I still think that there's an element of a lack of openness still about that process. Is that because we're worried that people are going to judge us or something else? Well, I can only really talk from my experience. I felt very, I felt I was failing in some way. I was failing my husband. I was failing my family, not being able to give grandparents a grandchild I just felt the responsibility was heavy. It felt like it was all on me. And yet it's a couple's experience, you know, just because uh, I was the one that actually was having the issues doesn't mean that I should have taken that all on by myself. And there shouldn't be that assumption either. I think, you know, after you get married, inevitably people say, so you think you're having children? And it's those sorts of comments we have to start to think about before we jump in and say those things because usually there is a, there is a story behind that question and that could be from miscarriage, loss, struggles to conceive, all sorts of um, fertility issues that come under that. So I think it's also being more careful, which is also what came out of that Jennifer Aniston interview. You imagine how many times she was asked and the grief she was going through in, internally yeah, and I think obviously with her, the narrative for her has often been that she's put off having children for her career, but actually we, we were just so unaware of this t- 
turmoil and this grief. And I think that, you know, you touch on some really important aspects there of, you know, there's so many cultural assumptions that we have around women, around conception. And for some, it, it, there's the conception issue, but for some, they don't just don't want to have children. And yet we project our own stereotypes and, and conditioning of what you get married. And now it's a conversation about when you're going to have children. And, and we, it, it's that being much more aware that we don't know what's happening in that particular family. We need to be more mindful of the language that we use. And I know that before you had Lola, uh, you then also had a miscarriage, which must have just felt did you dare was there that bit that you just didn't I know that your your first book this dare to dream is how difficult was that process because you must have moments where you're dreaming oh my goodness me it's about to happen and then it gets dashed and how did you Mm. manage that whole roller coaster yeah Harry will say gosh how naive he felt for just assuming that once we saw those two those that positive line that that was it and I think the thing with miscarriage is it, it then takes away the ability to enjoy, enjoy any subsequent pregnancy. You are so vulnerable to what might happen. And I think what was so difficult about my miscarriage actually was that my, I talk about this in the book, it's, you know, but my brother and his wife fell pregnant very soon after I did through IVF. But I had miscarried when they told me that she was going to have a baby so obviously that child would have been the same age and and all those sorts of things and I I was so angry that I couldn't be happy for the news that I was going to be an auntie that infertility and the struggles I was having was even taking that away that I was now not even able to find peace within you know that situation but then tragically she then miscarried a little bit later on and then of course I felt absolutely dreadful for the fact that I had felt so angry about the pregnancy and it was actually in that moment that I made a decision to even on the hardest days every time I saw somebody pregnant which is where I live is like every every person you pass well it feels like that to actually wish their pregnancy well internally to kind of think I wish you I wish you a healthy pregnancy. I don't know what your story was. And and I found that a very healing process. God, that's incredible because I would imagine there'll be lots of people listening to this that would want to feel that they could have done the same. But there's so much hurt and there's so much pain, I'm sure, in that whole process that it's often difficult. When you reflect back on that time now, what were the things that you felt that you that kept you sane and what were the things that caused the most sort of turmoil and, and pain? Immediately afterwards, something I never knew is that when you miscarry, you bleed for weeks. So it was this constant reminder that I had lost and the empty feeling and the actual physical sensation of miscarriage. I just replayed it over in my mind. You know, it's it's traumatic. But as the weeks went on, you know, you're going through this with your partner and we sort of picked each other up. So when one was feeling down, the other one sort of picked them up and 
we sort of knew that we wanted to go back and try again. And because we had frozen embryos, because that first baby I lost was from my first round of IVF, I almost felt I needed to get myself mentally and physically prepared to go again. And I, I sort of got into that headspace of in order to give myself the next best shot, I needed to work on this loss and grief and, and somehow come to terms with it. Yeah. And so that was that was probably quite powerful. What did you end up doing in that period of time then before you then went for the second round? So, I mean, obviously before the first round I was in, I was really excited about having IVF. It was the first moment that I felt hope and that there was possibility. And, you know, the, the two weeks after you've had the embryo transferred and having your embryo I always explain IVF a little bit like a hurdle race. You're sort of going through each hurdle. Are you going to get to the next stage? But if you get to the point of having an embryo that can transferred, you know, you see this embryo on the screen before they put it back in and there's sort of a flash of light that you watch. And you're in the room with your husband and, and it's really clinical and yet it's got its own air of complete beauty that I just wasn't expecting. So... I had such a positive experience of IVF. I had really got myself into a lovely headspace. I'd been using mindfulness and yoga and walking loads. Um, Probably the only time in my life that I've actually put myself first and said no to things because I was on a mission to do this for me. So to get back into that headspace the second time was really tricky, actually. But somehow I did and I yeah we we went again and the result of that is my daughter Lola and you know had I not gone through that loss I may never have met her yeah and I think that that's that's a kind of a lovely way of reframing what was a very tragic and and difficult time what did that do to your you know every parent whether that you know even if they conceive naturally, they have this tiny little bundle that they bring home from the hospital or from home or wherever you have, you birth your baby. And there's this insane amount of anxiety around what you do and what was, what all of that. Did you feel that yours was particularly amplified? You know, it's such a difficult one to know because I don't know the other way. But all I know is that I was not prepared for what was about to happen. I had put so much energy into getting pregnant, staying pregnant, the birth, that all the practical things had been put in place. You know, I, I had all the baby grows, the buggy, the, you know, all those those things, the frozen meals in the freezer. and But ultimately, <laughs> the overwhelming sense of responsibility when Lola was sat in her car seat, in our living room, and just thinking, what do I do now? But she was this, looking back, you know, she was this really serene baby. You know, I was that annoying mum that would be like, yeah, she sleeps, you know, and kind of feel awkward about it. But she was sort of the duck floating along the water, and I was the legs desperately paddling underneath. I, I was so anxious you know getting out the house would she need a feed I mean the amount of times I would come back from meeting friends with a coffee and floods of tears because 
I just wanted to get home. I just wanted to be safe and at home. And I, I felt like I couldn't do anything. It was such a shock. And I had the added feeling of, but you're so lucky. You wanted this for so long. You should only be experiencing the joy. And actually, we both know that that is an unrealistic expectation and totally incorrect. You know, becoming a mother is like, it's like nothing you can really prepare for or try to explain. Yeah, and I, you sort of touched on this idea, I think. was, Did you feel a sense of, not critical with yourself, but, but maybe it is criticism with yourself at times for being ungrateful or, you, you know, you should be enjoying every moment of this because you're so lucky that you can and that you have. Mm. And did that then add another layer for uh, what would just be ordinary feelings of just overwhelm? Yeah. I think naturally I'm a perfectionist and I need routine and I need control. It's all part of that's having that anxious disposition. And with a baby, there is no routine, certainly to begin with, and there's no control. You don't know what's going... You, you, you're, you have someone else that's dictating things to you that before that you've been the person that can decide what you want to do, when and where, and suddenly this little being needs needs you. And I think on reflection, looking back, I think having gone through the difficulties to conceive taught me a lot about being a mum, you know, whether it was patience, letting go, acceptance, all those sorts of things. But I think with each of my three pregnancies, I've had hormonal, you know, post-pregnancy sort of difficulties with getting back to an equilibrium yeah and it, I mean you've talked very openly about having you know struggled with anxiety at periods of time in your life and having had antidepressants and, and CBT in terms of helping one of the things that I think tends to happen is we get very wrapped up once we're pregnant in the whole process of the pregnancy all the different stages making sure that our child is developing we get caught up in all of the things about making sure that we've got the right equipment but I'm not sure how much we actually prepare not just for the practical things about life with a baby because I think we do a bit of that but actually how that might affect us as an individual and what it might bring up did you have because you had the IVF sort of journey and you can reflect back on how that's taught you patience and some of these other things but did do you feel that you prepared yourself for what might happen post baby in terms of how you might feel and how your anxiety might come up yeah I think you're absolutely right there is little to maybe no preparation psychologically into motherhood all the focus is on the baby checks mainly, isn't it? I mean, obviously, your well-being is checked in on, but we're not talking about um, our own our own nappy in the sense that you know these after we have a baby, you know we bleed, and but we're taught about how to put the baby's nappy on. But what about all our bits that need actually a bit of um, a bit of guidance and all these tiny little things that. From those little things to the big things of how am I going to cope with my anxiety? What might it bring up? What are the triggers? What are the signs? 
I think it is an area that we need more support in. Definitely, and I've cert- certainly in the, the when I've spoken to other mothers, it it seems to be that we don't we're aware of these things when we're just young, free, and single, but we don't necessarily make the connection that they might begin to show up as our as we become mothers until it happens, and then then it tends to show up. Are you finding now that you're parenting three children? Do you does that show up less now? I had. Um, a difficult time after my littlest, Lockie. So he's now 13 months and I had really bad anxiety after uh, he was born. Uh, not in terms of, I was I was able to bond with Lockie and I was totally in that bubble. But it was becoming clear that I was feeling very insecure in being able to parent three children when I was feeling so anxious and you know as you've said anxiety has been something that I have lived with for such a long time I know it's my friend and that I know it pops up when it's trying to help me and you know the fight or flight and it and there are appropriate reasons to feel anxiety but when it tips over to the other side and you're not able to function and you know I was dipping slightly into feeling quite depressed and I'm sure, you know, a lot of that is my, as I was saying, you know, my hormones after after um, having a baby. And, you know, again, I, I, I feel very strongly that I want to talk about that on my social media because, you know, there's a, there's a glossy sort of image of what people might assume online that, you know, I'm still the same as everyone else, every other mother that's facing you know these anxieties through the night and I'm no I'm no different and so why shouldn't we talk about it openly and I love that because it's so important for mothers to hear and see that in in as many with as many people as they possibly can because and particularly I think when we look at people who we perceive as having a very you know you're you're in this you know very happy marriage you've got this these children you're in this sort of sort of pedestal as such there's an assumption that things are easy and and wonderful and glossy and the reality is we're all the same ultimately we still have the same biological mechanisms that doesn't fundamentally change whoever you are absolutely I'm still the mum at the school gate that wants to make friends with other mums you know I'm still reaching out for for those communities and friendships and and being able to say to someone, you know, oh, God, last night was awful. I was up, you know, three, four times with various different children. And how are you? And, you know, having a having a moan about whatever it is and, and a laugh about the happier things. But it's just, I think, you know, in order to balance that on social media, it's important to share the trickier stuff with, with the better stuff and, and balance it and that. And that's what I, I try try to do. And how, I mean, obviously, I think being a mother, I, I sort of talk, I feel like we're literally given a bit of a, you know, this kind of stamp as we birth our first child with the whole mum guilt, because it seems to just come as part and package with, with, with our children. How do you tackle that mum guilt? Because yours is a very visible journey of being a mother. Yeah, 
it's interesting because I said to my mum, I was like, mum, I just feel so guilty. I was talking to her about something. She went, well, that never goes. You know, and we're, she's got four grown-up children. <laughs> she's still feeling guilty. It is, I think, it's, it's just natural, isn't it? I mean, I have, my little boy at the moment has fevers during the night, but he's absolutely fine during the day. And today I had to work, so he's gone into school. You know, and I'm and I'm thinking, oh gosh, if I'd done the right thing, it's just it's never ending. Or like my little Lockie is being looked after by someone else for a few hours whilst I can work. I feel guilty about that, you know. And then and then I feel guilty because there's things I would like to do that I haven't done, you know, for myself. So I think awareness of the guilt is the key. So I I don't think getting rid of the guilt is actually possible, but it's being aware, it's naming it and that it is perfectly normal to feel those things. And what is it I need to do today to make that feel a little bit easier? And maybe as a mother, you still need mothering. You also need to think about what are the things that you need as a mother. I mean, I was thinking the other day, because my husband's away at the moment, and my littlest is going through terrible separation anxiety, which is quite ironic when I have separation anxiety about my husband not being here. So what are the things that I am doing for Lockie when he is going through it? I'm giving him more cuddles. I'm making sure he's fed and watered. I'm there. I am calm. I'm, we're listening to music. We're doing these things together, whatever it is. So I need to nurture that for me too. You know, why is it because I'm a mother, I'm supposed to just be strong and, you know, just be able to cope. We've still got those natural responses in us that make us feel fears or those sorts of emotions and actually looking at it through our children's eyes I find sometimes helps me manage my tricky emotions. That's such a great way of looking at it. How do you make sure that that aspect of self-care or taking care of yourself happens? Because we all know logically, people will be listening to this saying, oh my god Izzy you're so right, I really need to take care of me. But in the moment when we're being mum we often forget. So how do you go about making sure that you do take care of you too? Yeah, I, I don't always do it enough. I think there are things I know that would make me feel better. And I, I think the way that I try and tackle it is just take today for today. So if your moment of happiness has been arriving home from the school run and having your hot cup of whatever it is, and that gave you a little bit of happiness, the house was quiet, then that's enough. You know, you don't need to get to that gym class and go for that run and and tackle whatever other lists that are going on. It's the simple things that go back to just your ability to just find a little bit of something. So it's, and, and a lot of that for me ties into mindfulness, which has been sort of my anchor through anxiety about present moment which I find really difficult to do I'm constantly projecting into the future and I get on the thought train and I'm off I'm I'm on that speed train out of here with every possible scenario that could happen or go wrong so bringing mindfulness into my day I try to do and I try to do a lot with my children because they're actually our greatest teachers in being present it's just whether we can can tap into that with them you were saying that about our children being our greatest teachers and I think 
really focusing in on being present because children are that's why they experience those big emotions when we say we're not going to do that anymore or we need to do this is they are so living in the present and we're so caught up in the sort of right what's the next thing that we need to do and I know that before when we first spoke about us doing an episode podcast episode together you explained to me something that you do which I love the sound of, and I wonder if you could share this about sort of stroking your children's backs and talking about their journey, their day. Can you just explain that? Because I just think it's such a beautiful thing. Yeah, so it's called Story of the Day, and I do it on on the children's back. So you you just using your hands to play the day out. So you might say the sun woke up in the morning and you just sort of do a semicircle with your hand on the back. Then we walk down the stairs and you just show your fingers just running down their spine. And then we eat our breakfast, sort of like your hand gobbling the breakfast. You know, and then we walk to school. And then I might say, but I don't know what you did at school because you didn't tell me. And then that might give um, them an opportunity to say, tell me a little bit about their day so that I can map it out on their back. And then we'll talk about coming home. and And then we do something called yums and yucks, which is what was your yum of the day so what 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 was good what good happened today and what was not what was a bit yucky and then that sort of gives them the opportunity if there is anything that they feel they need to talk to me about they can but I find that moment at bedtime is the time that I get most response from them rather than straight after school when they're hungry and overtired but that that lovely moment at bedtime when you can just sort of digest the day and it helps them I think unwind their day and then I do quite a bit of breathing exercises especially with Lola she tends to find falling asleep a little bit difficult and I can really relate to that and breathing exercises we then do together which I find also helps me and they're really simple it's just breathing in for one and breathing out for two and repeatedly and I think if I had known that skill as a child and through my difficult anxiety to to know about the breath and how powerful it is with calming the nervous system I think it would have been really beneficial so you know sometimes I think oh am I am I making it a, a thing for my children but then I'm thinking but no because these are basic tools to help support them through growing up which is well that's what I hope anyway No, I think you're absolutely right. I think we so often focus in as parents because we think that that's the expectation. We focus on on them hitting certain developmental milestones. They're walking, they're talking, they're putting two words into a sentence. They now can recognise their letters. Um, And actually, we can often forget that the work that we do around their emotions and emotional regulation and breathing are life skills. We're equipping them not just for the you know battle that they had with a friend at break time Mm. to actually life just generally and setbacks so I I think that that's no I think that's definitely crucial I was just saying that I feel that on my approach to my children might to an outsider seem when I say outsiders I probably mean older generations (laughs) but I'm but I'm too gentle (laughs) But I feel like if I was in an emotional state, if I was feeling, because my, my middle boy, Kit, is an absolute explosion of emotions. You never know what you're going to get. But if I 
was to respond to him by sending myself, by saying, go out of the room, go over there and deal with this on your own. I wouldn't want that. If I'm going through something really tricky, I want someone to hold me and, and say, it's okay, let's, you know, we'll talk this through. That's my logical process of it. But I don't know whether it's just a change in generation or perhaps what we're more exposed to now. But I find that way also helps me feel less uptight because actually in the process of giving him a hug, I'm helping myself regulate to then not fire back at him. I mean, don't get me wrong. Of course, I have my moments where I, of course, we're all human beings. If it's been going at you all day and they're not listening and just want them to go to bed so you can go downstairs and have that time for yourself of course we have moments where we explode but I really try to to bring it back to that to that approach where I suppose to just be a little bit more mindful and and trying to help regulate emotions no and I think Izzy you're absolutely right and it's difficult to do in those moments because when our children experience those big emotions it quite often triggers a big emotion in us but ultimately, it's thinking about the choice that I make now. How is that actually either going to help or hinder pr- the process of them working through these big emotions? Is it going to help or hinder if I ask them to go off somewhere and deal with that emotion? Might I remove some of the discomfort that I'm feeling because I now don't have to deal with that big emotion because I've removed them? But actually... How's it going to help them work through it? And what are the repercussions afterwards in terms of unpicking it? And I think sometimes we get so worried that by helping our children work through those emotions that we're somehow encouraging them or pandering or being this super permissive parent, which just is not the case. It's really not. And I think it definitely... And I think also when when it goes against what we've been exposed to in our generation it's also tricky when you're thinking oh but I'm I want to try it this way you know I I and and I think one of the other things that I use actually in mindfulness for mums for 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 us to use is calm begins with me and that is simply where you touch your fingers with your thumb so first finger would be calm second finger begins third finger with and then little finger me. So calm begins with me. Or patience begins with me. But it's just a little trigger moment for yourself when you're dealing with that moment with a child that is feels overwhelming to sort of trigger you into what do I want from this? Do I want to respond this way? Or do I just want to take that moment to just step back and think about why have they, have they suddenly responded in this way? I love that because so often if we can just take that moment, just that process of calm begins with me is enough to give us a different, just takes that heat out of that automatic response that we might have. Yeah. And by practicing these little exercises, I'm sure has helped me through using mindfulness, practicing it regularly. I think it's not something that happens overnight. But what is so what I what I wanted to share in mindfulness for mums was the ways in which you can do it with your children. So instead of it feel, feeling like oh it's another thing to do on my to do list, it's actually things that you can get involved with with your children. Like bath time, there's usually bubbles 
which is a great sensory exercise to bring our senses back to the moment with the children rather than thinking about uh, everything that you need to try and do once they're in bed or however difficult your day has been to manage. Suddenly you're there with your children, it's bath time. Um, you know, what do the bubbles smell like? What do they look like? Um, how do they feel? Let's blow them. You know, those sorts of things is the really, and just getting back to your senses is the really grounding way to practice mindfulness. The walk to school, you know, you take the same route every day. Lola and Kit, what can you see today that we didn't see yesterday? And engage in it yourself too, because it's just helping to, to re-center us. And you're also then able to be doing that with your children and interacting. So that, I think that's why mindfulness, I think what you, what you might perceive it to be, oh, I need to sit down and meditate. Well, I can't do that. How do I quiet in my mind? Well, your mind will never quieten. But those little things, you're, it's helping you and hopefully your children. Yeah, I just love, because it is about making sure that we stay in those moments. And I love that. And so you should go and check out. It's Mindfulness for Mums. And Izzy's book is a really, just filled with lots of really practical things that we can do every day. And I think you've talked before about this idea that you are have found it I don't know if it's easy is the right word and maybe I've got maybe I'm, I'm going to misquote you here but you found it easier to be present in each moment with Lockie in a way because as your third you know with our first we're kind of wishing their developmental milestones and waiting for the next stage and the next stage have you found that you've been able to be more present as with each subsequent child or as the sort of years have gone on yeah I think it has been searching for a way to be mum searching for the ways that I want to be and learning from experiences of you know before Lockie as I was saying two very different children one child go and put your shoes on they do it another child doesn't you know those those sorts of things that over time I've thought how am I managing this what what kind of mum do I want to be what is who am I where have I gone in all this I'm not just mum, what else do I want? And I think with Lockie, I feel like I've finally reached a point that I'm able to, to know what it is that I want. So I, I think it is a process. It is definitely a process. It's not something that just happens and it's still something I continually work on. You know, anxiety is never far from me and, and it is a challenge. And, you know, some days are really tricky and other days flow a bit easier and then I think that's the nuts and bolts of it isn't it is that acceptance that this journey of parenting isn't always straightforward and that some days we probably feel we're totally acing it we're the best mum ever and then there's other days where we think where, where have I gone I just can't get anything right judgment is such um a thing I think that we're up against and I think social media you know is so many positives and obviously things that are not so good and seeing that mum that's you know got the Halloween costumes and you know done the baking the cake sale and baked what this birthday cake whatever it is and actually you know that feeling of judgment on yourself and you know I think it's just really important to know that everybody is is going through their own little struggle with it all and Nobody is nobody is acing this. This is all part of this, you know, jumble of a road that 
that being a mum is. How do you manage that, Izzy? Because obviously you've got a huge following on social media um, and you're very honest about your journey, but there'll be a lot of parents, you know, those who've been listening to my podcast know well enough I'm now no longer on social media at all, but that is much more to do with the young people that I'm working with and the reason why I've come off social. But as parents, quite often, you know, that can be something that that we'll be actively doing, scrolling through our feeds. Is there anything that you do that helps you, whether it's a mantra or something that helps you stay real as you're focusing through those and the Halloween costumes and the organised for Christmas, their Christmas trees are up and their presents are beautifully wrapped, all of that stuff. How is there something that you do? Have you got a superpower? I think it's, again, it's that, like I was saying about when you see somebody pregnant on the street and you, you wish the person well you don't know what's going on behind that picture and I suppose it's curating a feed that you feel comfortable with and that doesn't trigger you in certain ways and following the people that that bring you something that you need and you know being online I know that what I produce might not be for everybody you know um but then there are people who write me the most beautiful messages um which means so much to me because I actually get an awful lot of comfort from people reaching out to me, you know, just saying me too, thanks for sharing that, you know, and there are topics in motherhood that you know are going to create a divide and you have to be careful about some topics that you talk about. But all I try to do is be as authentic as I can about my own personal experiences of what I have been going through. And if you want, someone wants to follow you or if you want to follow that person, you do. And if it's not bringing you what you want, then don't sit there and, you know, think, oh, gosh, I can't bear that person. Just don't follow them. Very wise, very, very wise words. <laughs> Izzy, thank you so much. It has been just, honestly, the, you've come, it's been really wonderful speaking to you and some real grounding things that we can all do and some real honesty from you. Thank you so much. Can I, just as we end, can I ask you, given the journey that you've had all the way from the conception challenges, miscarriage, all the way through to three children, and I know, you know, it's still a journey. If there was one thing that you would want to leave those who've listening today with, one thought, one thing that they can do, what would that be? I just want people to be kind to themselves, their minds, be kind to others always you know be be gentle on yourself be gentle on yourself you know there is so much pressure and I think being kindness really I think kindness is what makes this world go round and if it's something I want to leave my children that is that is all all I could I could ever wish for them to be kind that's beautiful well we will leave you with that thought and as you're listening to the podcast maybe that's something that you can think about today is about just being kind to you to others thank you again Izzy huge just really enjoyed chatting to you oh I love chatting to you too Marianne thank you for having me